guess what? What? I did it. I you took your to advice. <laughs> I know. I saw. I saw. I switched my my YouTube. You're you're responsible for lack of traffic for this video right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up? It's Kiana Danielle. Thanks for joining the Investiva movement. My guest today is one of my good friends, Mark Moss. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor, and he's an overall cool dude. And in this week's episode, we're going to talk about how to make it big without even going to college and. What really is the difference between college education and self-education, self-taught education? We're going to talk about what makes Bitcoin different than all these other cryptocurrencies out there and what these cryptocurrencies could become in the future. And we're also going to talk about why your government may not always be on your side. You probably, if you're not in the US, uh, already are thinking that, but even in the US, we're going to talk about that. I had an awesome time interviewing and chatting with Moss, and I hope you love it. If you love it, give it a thumbs up. Make sure to subscribe to, my, to our channel and let's rock the vlog. Uh, thank you, going? Kiana. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's it's going great. It's it's uh, always so fun to be able to talk to you. Yeah. So we met. So we've met now, I guess, twice in person. We talked a bunch uh, on the phone and on Twitter. <laughs> and yeah. so last we were in Cincinnati, Ohio, we we're at, uh, at the Chainwise event. We talked a lot about crypto, about wealth, about mindset, about entrepreneurship, about all these things. And today it was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? Because we like you, basically tick all the boxes about all the things that my audience would like to hear. So, but let's get started with where you really got started and what was fascinating for me about you. And I didn't know that because you come off as this like incredibly educated, like, you know, everything, but you didn't go to college. So uh, let's get yeah. started there. Cause I think that's just super awesome for people to know. Yeah. So that, I know that was a big, big surprise for you the other day when, when I, when I talked about that, you know, I think there's a big difference of, uh, I, I think our whole society has been kind of taught this mantra, which is go to school, get good grades. You can go to a good college, so you can get a good job and you can save for retirement. And that whole thing that everybody's been basically, if you want to call it brainwashed to believe is completely false. Everything about that is false. And we know that today because we have 20, 30 years of proof that shows it doesn't work. So we have all these baby boomers that are retiring. Half of them have no money saved. Half of them have uh, over $150,000 of debt. So it didn't work for them. And it's definitely you know, not working today with the, with the way that we learn. So I would say the mantra that we've been brainwashed with doesn't work. Um, but it's also... Uh, because we're so trained to think that way, we automatically think that if you don't go to college, then you're not educated. And so I think there's a big uh, discrepancy there. And so, yes, you're right. I didn't go to college, but I would venture to bet that I've probably read more books um, than most, pretty much <laughs> most people that especially have gone to college. And not only have I read the books, I've done the work. And so there's three levels of learning, right? So there's one, you learn it, two, you do it, and three, you teach it. And so I'm doing all three of those levels. Um, and so it's allowed me to take things that I'm passionate about, which means I really want to learn them. I take it upon myself to learn them. I put them into practice on my own, at my own expense, at my own time, and my own money. And, now, and, and then I teach it. So um, just because I didn't go to college doesn't mean I'm not educated. I have- uh, Right, so you know, you know what I love about that is because, so I went to college, I studied electrical engineers engineering for six freaking years in Japanese. So it's like, whoa, right? 
I do not use any of that any day of my life. I have not used any of that any day of my life. And to your point, anything that I've really come to master has been, has been the things that I've been passionate about, that I put my heart and soul into it, not yeah. just because I want to get a good grade, but because I actually want to see the outcome. Yeah. And then, oh my God, through teaching. You know, English is my third language, right? You know right. how I learned it? Through teaching. I was in Japan. I was teaching. I started with kids. I started teaching kids English. I started with like twinkle, twinkle, little star. And I would memorize it. And then I would go and teach it to the kids. And then I was like, okay, star, this, this, this. And then eventually I went up and up and up. And then I started like teaching high schoolers and then business people. And that's how I learned English. And I, I couldn't agree with, with you more. And it's just such a sad thing that society tends to like have these labels. Like, oh, you don't have a college degree? Oh, okay. You cannot apply for, I don't know. We were talking about it certified financial planning course yeah. because you don't have a college degree. It's just, it's, it's stupid, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm, you know, just because I didn't go down that route, I do see that, you know, for sure university or ex education is important. I mean, I wouldn't want a doctor that learned out of books to, to work on me, but at the same time, just because they took the, the test doesn't mean they're a good doctor either. And so um, some of the brightest and smartest doctors that I've met with are not the traditional educated route. They've had to go get that education elsewhere on their own. And so the same would be true for any profession. Uh, could be an attorney, could be um, uh, you know, a financial advisor, whatever. And they have to have that credential and you would want them to have that credential, but that alone doesn't mean that they're good at what they do. They need that extra. The training. track record, that is what, and, and you need to exactly put it in the work and teach <laughs> right so tell us so where did you go from there so you started you didn't go to college and what what was your thing what did you do instead i started working so i um you know i never really i i i, I like to say i've never had a real job uh, or maybe i've been unemployed for a long time but uh i didn't have a job my dad is a is a contractor so since i was a little kid he made me go work with him and i hated it um, I hated being a contractor. I swore to myself I'd never have a job where I had to get dirty. Um, looking back on it with the perspective of being older now, I realize that that's a lot of what made me who I am today. But uh, anyway, in high school, just in my senior year, I started working at my friend's dad's company. It was like a little engineering company. And uh, it was just four or five people that worked there. We just swept the floors, took out the trash. And um, what happened is they invented this new uh, medical device. And the company that they designed it for being engineers asked them to start building it. And so they started building a couple a week and then 10 a week and 20 a week, 30 a week. And uh, right when I graduated high school, I just started working there full time. And my parents begged me not to do that. You need to go to college. They said, if you start working now, once you start making money, you'll never go back to college. And that's, that, that's exactly what happened. And so started this little thing. Uh, the company started growing, growing, growing. And over the course of uh, several years, I think it was about six years, I went from sweeping floors to then um, learning how to manufacture the equipment. Um, I started a service department. We had made so much, we had to repair the equipment. I worked my way up into the marketing department. I was running the whole trade shows uh, internationally. Um, and then I just started working my way into the engineering department. Um, and it had become this publicly traded company, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. And I just looked at it and I just said, uh, you know, I looked at the top and I looked at the CEO of this multinational corporation and I looked at how much he was making and he wasn't making that much. And I was like, 
that's that would be like the limit for me and like i probably could never even get there but like that's the limit i looked at these engineers who had had all this schooling and they were designing the most high-tech medical equipment that was available at that time digital x-rays and stuff way way back and they're driving piece of junk cars and they're driving and they're wearing old clothes and they're like living on these tight budgets and I I know, that's like, the thing with engineering so engineering like making money is actually considered a taboo taboo like when i was at school i was doing research with my professor and i started getting fascinated about finance and economics that was like 2008 and i was like i, I told my professor like we're, we were working on radar assistance whatever it is and i was like yeah this is interesting like no 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 that like kind of the same thing that your parents told you is like no, you can't, you can't mix these two. You're either a scientist or you have money and you're a scientist. Science is better. So they were very passionate about it. But yeah, it kind of, I mean, it sucks because these people, why, why can't you have both, right? If you're that well, smart. The, 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 reason, the reason why is because with the age of the internet, um, it's created this connected world and it's taken technical skills like being an engineer and turned it into a commodity. And so our parents' generation, that was a really good job to ascend to at some point. But because of the information age, because of the internet, it's commoditized being an engineer. And now I could hire a dozen engineers overseas for, for what, you know, for one hourly wage of a person here. And so it's taken that away. And so now to be successful, it's not about being a good technical person. It's about having the creativity to be able to use those technical people in the right way. Think of it like instead of being the best trombone player or the best guitar player, I'm, I'm the conductor of the orchestra. And I can't play the instrument better than any of those people, but I can make them together make beautiful music. And you can't Right, no, that. absolutely. And I mean, that's what my, so my husband is an aerospace engineer. And for the longest time, he was building like rockets and helicopters and everything. He was not making any money. Like literally, I was making some more than him. It wasn't yeah. until he became like, he kind of switched. He's not designing anymore, but he's now the leader position, leadership position. Now he's leading all these engineers and now he's like ascending. So right. yeah, I mean, it's a different skill set. And uh, people have to come, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to discourage people who are interested in engineering. <laughs> I was like, are kids going to watch my channel? It's like, hey, dad, I'm not going to become right. an engineer. But yeah, it's just for, important for people to see that there are, there are other routes available. And then you got to where you are today. So tell us, so. Um, yeah, so I, I, I was like, I was like looking around and realized like, wow, that's the top. That's the ceiling for me. I don't like that ceiling. Like, I don't want that as a, as a limit for me. And so. I started, um, while I was still working there, I started investing into real estate and I, uh, I bought this, my first thing, I got it zero down. I didn't have a lot of money and I had, I, I got it zero down, but I still had to come up with closing costs and money to fix it up. So I brought a partner in. Um, I spent every night and weekend there working it for six months, working full time, driving an hour to the house every night, every weekend working on it for six months. But when I was done with that, I made as much as I was making a year at the job. And I was like, dang, okay. So I, so I started doing a lot of real estate, started building that up while I was working. And then while I was working, I also noticed that, you know, this company had, had built a really good product and, and developed, you know, this huge market around it, but they weren't servicing their customers right. And so um, I left and I started a service business servicing the equipment they were selling. And of course I started that before I quit my job. So I had my real estate business and I had this service equipment business and I left that job and I, and I ran both of those um, at the same time. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of my path. And so I say, I've never had a real job because I started working at my friend's dad's company. I never filled out a job application. I just was sweeping floors and I got sucked up into this huge thing. And then since I quit that job in 
Uh, that was like back in 97. I kind of tell you how old I am. Um, <laughs> I've never had another job since. Well, you're, so that's the thing. Again, I've, I, I, I feel like you're uh, undervaluing what entrepreneurs do, which is literally working all sure. the time in your bed, in your bathroom. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a reality for me. I, I don't have a real job, but I'm constantly working. Sure. And I love it. So that's the point. That's the, the difference about it. I was talking to one of my mom friends this morning, and she's like studying uh, to become a uh, trainer. And she's like, I hate the study. I hate the study. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, oh my God, like my husband, literally when he comes home, he has to pull me away off my chair. Otherwise I'm like, because <laughs> like yeah. yeah. I love it. I, I just enjoy doing it. So yeah, I mean, but that's the, that's the key piece that you just said there. Right. So, and I think you actually said earlier, like you study engineer, you weren't really passionate about it, but all the things that you were passionate about, you learned on your own. Yeah. And so that's the whole key, right? So the cliche is that if you love what you do, you'll never work in your life which sounds like a cliche, but it's actually true yeah. or it needs to be true. And the reason why is because to be successful, it requires a lot of extra work. And if you don't like it, you're never going to put that work in. You'll never put that effort in. And so it has to be something that you like, you're passionate about, and then you will go that extra mile. Right. But and not, I feel like it's, it's, like it's not working. the number of hours. It also is the energy that you, it's, it's the energy that you bring in the, me, the mental state that you're in when you go to work. If you're like, okay, it's eight. All right. I'm going to work for 12 hours to put the work. Oh, okay. Oh, it's eight 30. Oh, I can't wait. Whereas in my case, I'm like, okay, it's eight. Oh, like, oh my God. It's already 12. Oh my God. Oh, like I want to, I want to make more out of it instead of just passing time. So I think there is, there's a difference about between how much time you put in versus how much passion you put in. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so, all right, let's, let's get to the juicy stuff then. So you got from real estate and then, but, but so you somehow, somehow got to, got to cryptocurrency and I want to know what got you, what, when was the first time that you really got involved? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the super high level because it could go, it could go too far. But so in 1997, uh, I quit my job. I was doing real estate develop, uh, development and at the time my roommate also quit his job. And if you know anything about the internet, in 97, 98, 99, 2000, it was going up like this brand new invention. It was creating all this money. And my roommate quit his job and, and, and we're day trading these internet stocks. And, um, and uh, it was kind of like what we see in the crypto boom. And uh, the market shot up like a rocket in 2000 and then it crashed. And my roommate had to go back and get, his, uh, go get a real job. I kept doing my real estate, uh, which was still going really good at the time. And then in 2001, at the bottom of the dot-com crash, when the market was completely shattered and everyone thought it was a big scam, I decided to start an internet business. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go start a business selling uh, products online. And there was no like Shopify or any of that at the time. I just spent a lot of money. It was really hard to build that. And um, at the time, I went to these companies and said, hey, I want to sell your product on my website. And they laughed at me. And they told me no one would ever buy anything online. And I said, well, I think they will. And I, bought, I built this website and I'd love to just buy your products and resell them. And they said, no, we don't even want our stuff on the website. And so fast forward. So I've been involved online ever since. That was in oh, 2001. you could have been the original Amazon. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened is, is I started a company selling motocross stuff online and we crushed it. Um, did, did really, really well uh, selling millions of dollars of products online. But I didn't understand a big piece of the game. And this is really when business started changing and businesses today aren't really in the business of making money. Businesses today are in the business of raising money. And so what happened is, uh, as the internet started getting big in 2006, 2007, 
a couple companies went and raised 40, $50 million. And I didn't know this at the time. I only found this out years later. Uh, but these companies all of a sudden popped up out of nowhere and they were selling products cheaper than I could buy it for. And I was like, and they started undercutting me so low that it kind of basically put me out of business. And um, I was able to sell off the business before it got too bad. Um, so I got out of there clean. But um, years later, I met some of the guys from those other companies and they said, oh yeah, we went and raised $50 million. And I didn't understand that part of the game. And so that's kind of where uh, my... Uh, I kind of, I kind of lost out there, but so anyway, I've been involved in the internet space and tech ever since. And so when I came back around to Bitcoin, um, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, Oh, I understand where this is going. I was involved in the early days of the internet. I had people tell me it's stupid. It's never going to go anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that before. And yeah. so, um, I was attracted to it and, and, uh, I've been all in since about, about 2015. Oh, and you didn't sell when it, when it, uh, when Bitcoin hit 20. Okay. Um, I, I did. Sure. So I did. Uh, and, and that goes back into deeper, deeper, uh, um, investing principles. But so I would been investing in real estate for a long time in 2000, 2008, I got wiped out like, like a lot of other people. And part of it was because I didn't understand about like asset allocation and how to diversify a portfolio. And so I had a hundred percent of my money and not just hundred percent of my money. I had sold two businesses to fortune 500 exits and I'd done really well in all these different areas, but I put everything into real estate and I lost it all. Yeah. And so over the last decade, I've developed a series of systems and, and uh, really principles and methods that I use to put money into different um, allocations, but then also keep that in maintenance. And so what that means is that when one asset gets too far over, I'll sell some, take profits and put it into those other areas. So with crypto, um, at the end of, uh, it was actually January 1st of 2018, like I do every year, I just rebalance the portfolios, which caused me to take a bunch of profit at 20,000 and put it into real estate and put it into cash and whatnot. And so um, it wasn't because I saw the, saw the world coming in. I didn't, I, I wasn't so smart. I called the top of Bitcoin. I'm not trying to call say that, but uh, my system, my principles right. is what, what allowed me to take profits. Right. No, that's exactly how, what I tell my students as well. It's like, you, you can never, nobody can ever tell exactly where to get in and where, where to get out. That's why the best you can do is risk management and say, okay, this is my system. You, you tell yourself, okay, whenever I, I go up 50%, I'm going to take profit. Then I'm going to go back in or I'm going to put it here and there. Because I mean, whoever says, hey, I said this or it's, it's just BS. You got lucky. Uh, but I mean, if you, if you, if you say that, Hey, I systematically did that, but yeah. I absolutely agree with you with that, the, with that. Uh, yeah, you got to get in, you got to maintain it, but you got, you shouldn't. Uh, so I know that you kind of got partnered. You, you, you partnered with a uh, more active trader uh, afterwards with crypto, which is something that I'm over it. I'm over day trading because I feel like uh, I did it when I was, uh, I first started that. I started with, with Forex for day trading and you get sucked into it and the volatility right. and the emotions. It just, I feel like it's not worth the money. Yeah, you could make money, but the amount of time and energy and the, it sucks your energy out uh, with, with, with all the greed and, and you, you, can't, you can't help it. Uh, what was your experience like with the person who was? Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I, I started, I've been an investor in businesses and in real estate. And um, I, I brought that same investing kind of mindset. I started writing an investing newsletter in 2015. So I ran that, or it's 2016. So I ran that for about four years. And, and as you're right, I partnered up with a trader and we started, we kind of combined our businesses and we had an investing side and a trading side. 
in the last couple of years, yeah, I was kind of involved in that trading side. And, um, you know, I'm not to say what's right or wrong for anybody. I think everyone can do what, what they choose. Um, but just like I have a lot of friends that love to, to bet on sports and I have friends that are always betting on whatever game or go to Vegas and spend a bunch of money. And, I, and that's just not me. I don't like to bet on games. Um, I don't like to, I don't like to gamble in Vegas. I don't have a problem betting large amounts of money on investments, but it's, that's different. And so I think uh, trading is a lot like that. So I think a lot of the people that like to gamble bet on the games or Vegas also like to um, trade because you get that same kind of adrenaline rush. Um, but I would agree with you. I think um, through a couple years of data and thousands and thousands and thousands of traders coming in, the majority of them just don't make any money. And the ones that do make money, I just don't think it's worth it. And not for me, you know, I, I would rather spend that time and energy somewhere else and then take that money that I make and then just put it into investing. Right. So uh, let's get future. So we got your background. We got to where you are too. We got your principles. So where are you going next? Are you, we know that you're diversified all over uh, across a bunch of assets, uh, but let's stick to crypto for, for, for here. Um, where do you see crypto going in the future? And do you think, and I know that actually you brought this up last week that you were saying there is not going to be a category crypto. So you were like, ah, uh, it's not like nobody has an internet conference anymore. I don't think we're going to have a crypto conference in the future. Um, And we had a good chat about it. But um, so, so what do you think? Where do you think this is going to go? Well, I definitely, uh, well, I definitely think that cryptocurrency will be, it already has been, but will continue to probably be the best investment opportunity that we'll probably ever see. Um, We have these technological revolutions that happen about every 50 years and we're kind of in one right now. And, and, um, it's such a deep subject, it's really hard to go into, but it's gonna be the largest shift in society that we've ever seen because it removes the need for trust. Um, and again, that's a deep subject, but so it's this massive shift. So it's probably the best opportunity we have for investing today. Um, so that's kind of where I think it's going as a whole. Overall, I think that, I mean, like I said, it already has been the best investment. I think I kind of look at it like Bitcoin is the most proven asset that's here to stay. And it's really, it's the revolution. Um, I look at other crypto assets as like little venture capital bets and yeah, maybe allocate a little bit of money. They're home run shots and maybe you'll catch a couple here and there. You're going to probably lose on most of them. Um, but that's kind of how I look at the kind of crypto landscape. So, uh, I mean, I totally agree with you. The Bitcoin was the one that started it. It has much better branding than any, any other crypto asset. Most people might know the word Bitcoin, but they w- might know the word crypto. Like I've actually seen that. So that just shows the power of the branding of, of uh, Bitcoin, which is something that uh, people should consider. But we know that there are a lot of cryptocurrencies um, that have, let's say, better uh, agendas or better missions or, or work better or, um, or uh, have lower costs. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think Bitcoin could get MySpace, meaning like Facebook, something like Facebook can come and crush it? And actually, in fact, what are your thoughts on Facebook Libra? So as far as um, the, the, the Bitcoin being the MySpace uh, analogy, I, I think that that narrative is actually uh, false just because um, Bitcoin wasn't the first. Um, they, you know, Bitcoin was 10 years in the making with multiple companies trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing. Bitcoin was the first one that got it right. And so uh, Bitcoin wasn't the first. It was, it was way farther in. 
So Bitcoin um, addition, is Facebook. <laughs> it, it, or maybe even past Facebook. It's like TikTok or something. You know what I mean? Like it, or Instagram. It's like uh, it's, it's several iterations in. The other thing I would say is that you said there's other ones that are quote unquote better. And, and what does better mean? Uh, better to me may not be better for you. And so it's really like what features are you trying to optimize for? And so what I see uh, for me, the core features are censorship resistance, immutable, like Andreas Antopoulos talks about it, like open, permissionless, censorship resistant, borderless and immutable. So anything that has those features for me, that's the revolution. That's what I'm excited about. That means that um, no central government or anybody could seize it, steal it, manipulate it, uh, stop it, block it, prevent it, any of that. So whatever value I decide to store, transfer, hold cannot be taken. And so for me, that's the revolution. We've never had a technology in the history of the world that allows us to do that. Now, other ones are faster, you say. Okay, but for me, that's not one of my core features. Like, I, it, it, is, is it open, permissionless, borderless, censorship resistant, immutable? Um, that's what I'm trying to optimize for. So I think like Bitcoin speed is not a bug that we need to find something faster. I think it's a feature. And because of the time that it takes to process, it makes those areas that I care about better. And so again, better to me is better to, different than better to you, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely. So every each of these cryptocurrencies are basically optimized for a different thing. Now, talking about Facebook Libra, which is good for the cryptocurrency industry as a whole because it brings up attention and, and gets the government involved and people talk about it and hypes up the crypto industry as a whole. Uh, but you and I both have interesting opinions about Facebook. <laughs> are they different? Uh, <laughs> what? Are they, are they opposing viewpoints? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So... Um, I wanted to basically, I want to talk about, do you think Facebook, I know they're optimizing for being a fast, they have all the data, they can, they can reach as many people as possible and everybody can have, have access to cryptocurrencies. It's optimized for something else that you don't care about. But what about the fact of putting this much power into Facebook's hands? What do you think of that? Well, again, good. Is it good or is it bad? I mean, and that's a relative term. So I think there are things good about it. There's also bad things about it. So for example, um, some of the good things were maybe it's like a gateway into cryptocurrencies. And then once people are in, they can see, uh, they can compare it now to Bitcoin, which will be obvious how much better it is. And then people will use Facebook as an entry and then find their way to the Bitcoin. So that might be a good thing. Um, it's bad in a lot of ways in a sense where, um, Bitcoin is a tool for freedom. A, a Bitcoin is a tool for self-sovereignty, meaning that no government can be oppressive on me and steal my money or inflate my money away or whatever. And, um, and I also have privacy there. And Facebook Libra is opposite of all that. So that means that they'll have more surveillance on you. Um, you'll have less privacy. Um, you'll have less control. It's going to be very easy for them to seize your money or stop your money, prevent your money from being transferred. Um, just like we saw, there was big news yesterday um, PayPal decided to stop working with a huge company called Pornhub, um, which, you know, maybe not everyone agrees with, I get it. But the very fact that they decided to stop allowing Pornhub to pay their, um, employees or whatever you want to call them, hundreds of thousands of people. And you, so you depend on it, right? That depend on it. So there's some morality there, which that line is different for everybody. Um, but because they don't like it, they're not going to allow you to transfer money. But like, right. It's my money. 
Yeah. If I want to transfer to you, nobody should have a say in that. Right. And I think and I mean, this is this is literally the reason why I got I became fascinated about Bitcoin. Once I got it, I was like, so I don't know about if you know about my backstory. So my dad was this like massive, super successful CEO in Iran before the revolution. And he was like working with the Shah and all these things. And we had all these assets and money in the bank and all the things. And then the revolution happened, the new Iranian regime, and we we're Jewish, right? So he, they seized the company, they seized all the assets, seized the banks, nothing. So I grew up in poverty because of that. And once I learned about Bitcoin, I was like, oh my God, like if my dad had a fraction of his assets in something like Bitcoin, the government would not have been able to do anything yeah. with that. I would not have grown out of poverty. So it, there is real true power in it globally. And I feel like in the U.S., a lot of people got get spoiled about, I mean, we somewhat trust the government, no matter, I mean, yeah, by partisan, we hate this, we hate that. But at the end of the day, we are not that worried about the government, I feel like, as much as a person in Iran or in Venezuela. So I feel like that's why in America is a little bit, we're, we're lagging uh, in accepting and understanding the true power of Bitcoin. Well, anyone that anyone that's listening right now, I would just give you a challenge. Uh, when you're done with the interview, go, go just open up a Google window and type in civil asset forfeiture. And basically what that means is uh, the police take your assets and it's not criminal, not criminal asset forfeiture. So criminal means you've done something wrong and they're going to seize your assets. I'm talking about civil. So Google that civil asset forfeiture and hundreds of millions, if not maybe billions of dollars are taken by police with no charges filed, nothing, no wrongdoing all the time. So just Google that and just just back that up for yourself uh, for people that don't think there's a problem. But I'm just curious. I know you're the interviewer here, but so having that past experience. We're just having a chat. Uh, <laughs> We're just having a chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll ask you a question. But having that past experience of, of, of really seeing the need for it and not having it, right? What do you think about other cryptocurrencies that don't optimize those core characteristics that would have saved you? Oh, I'm against them. <laughs> I, just, I just want, I really wanted to get your opinion because every time I go on Twitter and say something about Libra, I get attacked and I'm like, you're like, guys, but I don't like Facebook right now at this very moment, they have banned me from advertising because they thought I teach, I provide uh, employment opportunities to, I'm like, what like something completely false the algorithm went off wrongly and they yeah. flagged me and now i'm not able to advertise on facebook and do i want to trust them with my money no what if their yeah. algorithm goes off and flags me with something oh, okay you're iranian i can get flagged very easily and they're like okay we don't want you to be able to transfer your money because you're iranian what if what if it goes off yeah um, the censorship so yeah. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. and, bank, and banks do this all the time. So if you want to read through your bank documents, you'll find out that it's not really your money, it's their money. And they can decide that they don't want you as a customer anytime and basically take your bank account. Um, I have one of my old business partners, this kind of actually happened to him where he had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. Luckily, the bank didn't seize it. But one day, he found out his, all his accounts were closed and they sent him a check in the mail and they said, we don't want your business anymore. Luckily, he got his money back. But um, yeah, you know, it's like the banks or PayPal or Facebook Yeah, having the stay over your money and, and whether you're even allowed to keep it or, or take it or send it to somebody else. It's just, it's just wrong. Um, so no, I'm super passionate about it because I see it. Like I see the, the power of any monopoly, any, anyone who gets the power, they just, they, they categorize you, bulk you and put you there and then you, you're you're labeled forever and it just it sucks as a person 
I, I mean, I've never actually talked about this ever, but you know how long it took me to be able to come to America? My parents were citizens. My, my sisters were, my sister and brother were living here. My grandparents, everybody, they all came. But for whatever reason, nobody knows. I was not allowed to come to the U.S. for 10 years. Wow. I was alone. When I was 16, my parents, so we went to Turkey. My parents weren't, wanted to come. My sister was getting married. We were like, okay, we're going to go. Like we had every, all the visa things. And they gave my parents their green card and they sent me a 16-year-old home. So I had to go by bus from Turkey to Iran back, stay there for six months on my own because the government somehow thought the 16-year-old should be separated. Wow. And this is the American government. And it took them 10 years. And then I went to Japan. And again, my sister got divorced, got married again. I still couldn't go to, go to I missed her wedding twice. Wow. <laughs> my grandma passed away, nothing. And I'm not even like, even if you want to call it, okay, Muslim, I'm Jewish. Like this, it has nothing to do with it. I was just flagged. And I don't know, it's something that apparently I've carried on since I was born. I always get flagged. And then finally, after 10 years, they gave me a visa and I came here and it was just like, so that's why I'm super passionate about all these things. And yeah, Bitcoin definitely excites me for all the reasons that you said. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so um, I know that you have a call in five minutes. All right. So let's wrap it up. Mark, you're super awesome. You're, you're like, you literally know about everything. And I really enjoy talking about you with you, <laughs> talking with you and about you. <laughs> So where can people like, what, what is your, what is your personal goals? What are, where, where can people find you? What can they learn, learn from you? And, uh, I know that you're passionate about helping people as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I kind of alluded to, uh, in 2008, I got completely wiped out. I knew how to make money, but I didn't really understand everything that it re that was required to keep the money. Um, and so there was pieces I was missing. And so I had to go figure that out the hard way and kind of build my systems. And then as I was writing the cryptocurrency newsletter, I watched all the people that I was writing to making the same mistakes. And I put out over 20 calls that went up a thousand percent, one that did over a hundred thousand percent, which is like the most incredible thing I'd ever seen in my whole life. But yet people were still going broke. And so it was really painful for me to watch them going through the same mistakes that I was. So um, I have a YouTube channel just under my name, Mark Moss. And I talk about a lot of these topics. I try to give away as much uh, free education as I can. Um, there's uh, some guides and reports that you can download that will teach you some of these things like I'm talking about, like how to distribute your assets around. Um, that, so just go to YouTube, Mark Moss. I'm on Twitter, pretty active, number one, Mark Moss. Um, so I drop a lot of tidbits like this and anybody can get at me and, and uh, to start jumping the conversation that way. Yeah, we're gonna add all your social media uh, over here. People can see it or I don't know, here or there. <laughs> gonna, gonna get the editor, editor guys get, uh, to do that. So yeah, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. And thank you for pushing me to make this new YouTube channel. You're responsible for making this YouTube channel. Well, success. if it's a huge success, I'll take all the credit. And if it's a failure. Oh yeah, all right. <laughs> That's the wise one. All right, thanks again. And thank you guys at home. I hope you took a ton out of this interview and I'll see you again on my new YouTube channel.